someone were to ask you, what is faith? How would you answer that question? And I think that's a legitimate question that people could ask us. Because the Christian faith is, is defined, well, it's Christian faith. It's defined by faith. We, we believe things. We believe things that we cannot see. We believe things that we have not seen. We, we believe things that will come to pass that no one on earth at this time has ever seen. Right, so how would you answer the question, what is faith? Okay, you, you believe in Jesus, what does that mean? What, what impact does that have on your life? What, what is faith? And today what I want to do, so I want to try to do what I can to answer that question so that we would understand because for us to say that we're a people of faith, we have to be able to understand what faith is. We have to be able to answer that question. So today we're going to look and see what faith is from the book of Hebrews. Open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, verse 1 is where we're going to start. That's page 926 in your pew Bibles. And when you find that, I'll ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. The Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders received, obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So things which were seen were made of things which were not, which were, oh goodness. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things which are seen were not made, which things which are visible. The title of the message this morning is, What is Faith? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We praise you for your grace and your goodness. Praise you, God, for an opportunity to gather and to study your word and just to, to try to answer important questions from your word. Father, we ask you today to speak to us and to give us ears to hear and a heart to receive. Help us, Lord, to be challenged by this, to be strengthened, to be encouraged, to be changed by it. God, let your word always make a difference in our lives. Let your spirit come. And, and not only anoint me to preach that I would speak and have clarity of thought and clarity of speech, that the Holy Spirit would also come and, and just help us, Lord, to receive this into our lives, to see areas where we need to be changed, to, to bring our lives into conformity to your word and to your will. Be glorified in how we respond. Let what we do today make a difference in our lives tomorrow and the rest of the week. Help us, God, to be a people of faith that live by faith and understand what faith is. We ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Joe, could you turn this down a little bit? It still seems a little bit loud. Um, the book of Hebrews is written to a, an unknown group of Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians, who were struggling in their faith. Since their conversion to Christianity, things had gone bad. They had suffered a great deal. And because of the suffering of their faith, they were continuing to, they were, they were considering going back to Judaism and abandoning their faith. The author of Hebrews writes to them, and he encourages them basically to keep the faith. That's the main thrust of what he wants them to do, is to continue to keep the faith. And when he gets to chapter 11, he's going to launch in and kind of explain some things about faith. Now, if just picking up in Hebrews 11, we, we start off with now faith is the substance of... But in order to really understand why he's going into faith, we kind of have to see what has come before it. Because in the chapter that just ended... The author has left it with a, a very stern warning. Look at what he says in verse 32. He says, But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle 
by reproaches and tribulations, and partly why you became companions of those who were once treated. For you had compassion on me and my change, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. That's what he reminds them. At this point, they're considering going back. Things have gotten bad. Things have not gotten better. They've suffered a great deal. They have had, they've been made a spectacle. They've been abused. They've been lumped in with criminals. They've just had a bad time of it. And now they're considering going back. And the reason that they endured up to this point was they remembered. Okay, what the world takes is nothing compared to what God can give. What we have waiting for us in heaven is better than what we're losing right now. So we're going to keep on. But as time went on, as things got worse, they were thinking, maybe it's not. But maybe, maybe it's not worth it. And so he tells them, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. And confidence there basically would be faith. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Now, catch what he's saying there. You have believed in the past, and that faith has carried you through some hard times. But right now, what you need is endurance. You need to keep on believing. You need to keep on in the faith if you want to receive all that God has promised you. Right? In the past, you endured suffering because God gave you something better, you thought. What was waiting on you was better than what you were losing. If you want that something better, you can't give up now. You must keep on in the faith. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now, the just will live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Right? So, the just will live by faith. They must live by faith always. And God has no pleasure in those who pull back, those who, who stop believing, those who give up persevering in the faith. They, they give up because it's hard. Now, that is in contrast to what we see in Hebrews 11 and 2, that by faith the elders obtain a good report, or Hebrews 11 6, that without faith it's impossible to please God. So if we want to please God and receive a good testimony, we have to continue in the faith. And he says, but we are not those who draw back to perdition. Now, I want you to get what he's saying there. Draw back is to give up on the faith. To draw back is to say, it's too hard. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to go back to what was familiar, or I'm just going to quit altogether. Now, what happens to those who draw back? They go on to perdition. Now, the question of... Were they never saved to begin with and they just gave up when they got hot, when it got hard? Or were they genuinely saved and they forfeited their salvation and their faith is an irrelevant question. Because the response, the, the, the consequences, the results are exactly the same. Those who draw back, those who give up, regardless of why, they will face perdition. Now, that is, that's what he said. If you, you're thinking about giving up, You're thinking about letting go. If you do, understand this is what will happen. And since he has made faith the keystone, he has made faith what they must continue in, he begins to explain faith. Now, before we get into the explanation of faith, the thing I want us to understand about faith is that faith, it must be continual. It's not enough to have had faith in the past I must have faith in the present. I must continue to have faith in the future. 
Right now, faith began at some point in the past. There was a, there was a definite moment in the past when each one of us moved from unbelief to belief. We, we didn't believe in Jesus, and now we do believe in Jesus. But that faith is not that one-time event that, has no, that no longer has any impact upon the way that I live. That faith must be something that is present in my life today. That faith must be something that influences my life today. I must have faith all the way to the end. So what is faith? Well... Faith is the foundation of our expectation. The very first of 11.1, the author says, Now faith is the substance things hoped for. Now, the word for substance, it carries with it the idea of being a, a foundation. Something that, that undergirds something else and gives it a, a, a basis, a, a supported platform in which to build and which to go. So faith is a foundation, but that foundation is, what, it's give, what faith is giving the foundation to is, is hope. Right? Our, our hope in God is built on our faith in God. Now there's a couple of things about this that we have to really to understand. First is we, we need to understand what we're believing about God. What is it we believe about God that gives us hope in God? What we believe about God is we believe that He is who He says He is. Right? God has revealed Himself. And He has told us that He is awesome, that He is powerful, that He is loving, that He is kind, that He is gracious, and that He can, he can do anything that He wants to do. Our faith in God is that He is all of those things. He is exactly who He has said He was. Now, at the same time, though, it's not limited to the fact that we believe God is who He says He is. Faith in God also means that we believe He can do what He has said He would do. Because the same God who said, I am holy, has said, I will do things. He has said there are things He would do in us and through us and for us. And what we, and faith in God means that I believe He can. If God has said He can do it, I believe He can do it. Right? So faith in God is wrapped up in the character of God. He is who He says He is, and He can do what He says He can do. And also, I guess you'd say that He will do it. Right? Not only can He do it, but that He will do it. That, that is what our faith in God is. So what is now hope? That faith in God fuels our hope, builds the foundation for our hope. But what is, what is hope? Well, I've often described hope as a well-grounded, well-founded assurance that God will do what He has said He will do. And, and while I think that's probably accurate, I don't think it's, it's enough. Right? Because while hope in God is a well-grounded, well-founded assurance that He will do what He has said He will do, with hope is also the idea of expectation. See, someone that, that hopes in God expects God to do something. Someone whose hope is in God, they expect that God will, will do things. Now, I don't know about you, but just on the surface, saying I expect God to do anything, doesn't that sound kind of presumptuous? Who am I to expect God to do anything? And so it sounds like, oh no, I, I would never expect God. That, that sounds like me presuming upon God. But it's not presumptuous if our expectations come from the right place. 
Where do our expectations of what God will do come from? They come from what we believe about the character of God. Right now, if I want to say, I just believe God is going, I expect God to do and I make something up. Good luck. Tell me how that goes. Maybe it'll work for you. If it does, let me know. That is a bit presumptuous. On the other hand, if you read in the Bible where God says, cast your cares upon me for I care for you. And you expect that casting your cares upon God will help you in your life. That is a proper expectation. If you read in the Bible where God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and you expect that He will be with you in the good times and the bad, that He is there when you're good and when you're not, that expectation is a well-founded, well-grounded assurance. Right? Expectation is built on God has said it. So faith in God, it becomes the foundation for our expectation. Faith in God, it's what causes me to say, I I not only believe God can, but I believe God will. I think this is a huge thing, at least for me. Okay, maybe not for you. I talked about last week my, my struggles with faith. My struggle with faith is not that God can do anything. I have absolute confidence that God can do anything that He wants to do. What I wrestle most with is my expecting God to do things. Faith, faith is more than saying, I believe God can. Faith is confidence that He will. Faith is the, the foundation. It is what we, our faith in God, the character, the nature of God. That is the foundation to our expectation that God will do all the things that He has said He will do. Let me ask you, do you, do you expect God to do things? Do you expect your prayers to matter? Do you expect that your service will make a difference? Do you expect that your lifestyle matters? Do you expect that God will do things in you, through you, and for you? As believers, we we all should. A lack of expectation is a lack of faith in the character of God. We saw last week with the Israelites when they wouldn't go over. Why didn't they cross into the promised land? They either didn't believe God could conquer the nations that were there, or they didn't believe that God would conquer the nations that were there. It was their, their lack of faith in the character of God that took away their expectation and led to their doubt and their disobedience. Faith in the character of God says, I believe He can. And I believe He is who He says He will. And if I really believe that God is who He says, and that God can and will do what He has said He will do, then that rightfully leads me to have an expectation that God will do anything He has said. If it's a promise in Scripture, faith provides the foundation for me to say, I expect God will do exactly this. So faith is the foundation of our expectation. That leads us to the second thing that faith is. Faith is the fuel for our motivation. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, I like that he calls it not seen. Because the faith 
but it's not seen, right? Think about how many things that we believe by faith are, are not seen by us. How many of us have seen salvation? Right? What, what, is the, what is the physical, visible evidence with our eyes that someone has been saved? That they prayed, they received Christ, and now that their sins are forgiven and they're a new creature. Oh, there's nothing we've seen with that, is there? Right, what about the Holy Spirit? We believe the Holy Spirit works in our lives and in our world. Have we seen Him? The, the keystone of our faith is that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins, and He rose again. Did we, have we seen any of that? No. No, we haven't. All the things we, we believe are unseen. They are the unseen promises of God. And yet somehow faith provides evidence that the unseen promises of God are true. Now, how, does, how can my believing, something I can't see and I've never seen, how can my believing that give evidence to the fact that it's true? Well, our faith gives evidence to the reality of the unseen promises of God when we live differently because of those promises. But there's no certificate that falls down from heaven that tells someone they're saved. But when they begin to live differently, that, that's a testimony, isn't it? That is, that is evidence that what happened here, it was real. That something mattered. Something happened there and they are no longer the same. And that is the, that is the only way that faith gives evidence to the unseen promises of God is that we, we live differently because of these promises. We, we live as though they were true. We live as though they were real. And, and in this chapter, that's what this chapter is all about. After these first three verses, everything about this chapter is people making life decisions... Based upon the unseen promises of God. And as they made these life decisions based on the unseen promises of God, it gave evidence to the fact that these promises were true and that God was real and that God was at work in their life. Their faith fueled their motivation to do what God wanted them to do. And I think, I mean... One of the most important things to understand is that really faith cannot be seen apart from the actions that it inspires. How do we, how do we know that Abel had faith in God? It's because he offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain did. How do we know that Abraham had faith in God? Because Abraham left his homeland... And went to a place that God would show him. He lived as a pilgrim and a stranger. And when God commanded, he took his only son, the son of promise, and he offered him as a sacrifice as God said. How do we know that Moses had faith? Because after a period of time, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. After a period of time, he rejected the pleasures of sin in, Israel, in Egypt and he identified himself with the people of God. He took part of the Passover and he led them across the Red Sea. He believed God and so it fueled his motivation to do what God had said. How do we know that Joshua believed God? 
Because Joshua walked around the walls of Jericho seven times and yelled at them and they fell down. In none of these instances, would their faith, would their, would their words of saying, I believe, have mattered, had they not had actions that follow it. See, they, they had a foundation where they expected God would do what He said He would do. They believed God was all that He had said to them He was. They believed God could do all the things that He had said He would do. And that faith gave them an expectation. And that expectation became a motivation. And they lived differently because of it. They took off and they did the things that God said to do. And all of those things were unseen. Right? There was... Abel's sacrifice was an earlier one. Right? It was just he knew giving God his best was the way to go. Noah, we know he had faith because he built an ark. But best we know from that time period, there had never been a major flood like that before. No one had ever walked around a city and yelled at the walls and they fell down. They, these things were unseen. They believed God. And that faith fueled their motivation to go out and to do what God had said. Let me ask, do we... Do we live with that kind of expectation? Does our faith fuel our motivation to expect God to do things? Does this, our faith cause us to step out and do things that are unseen, unknown, uncomfortable, trusting that God will do what He has said He will do? I mean, what difference would it make in our life if we lived with this kind of expectation? Let me give you some, some promises that are important. Right? There is no... Condemnation for me in Christ. I mean, think about that. No condemnation. You know what that means? It means that there's no condemnation for you. It means that at no point as a believer in Jesus Christ will you be condemned as an unbeliever. It means that at no point will you as a believer in Jesus Christ face the judgment and the wrath to come. You are spared from all of that, not because you're perfect, not because you do everything right, but because of Jesus and what He has done and your faith in Him. Now let me ask you, do you live like you're free from condemnation? Do you live as though God has fully, completely forgiven you of your sins and will never hold you accountable for those again? Or do you live like you're on a tightrope and God is waiting for just the right opportunity to lay the smack down on you? Faith feels right. God is who He says He is. He's loving and forgiving. He'll do what He says He will do. He will forgive. The other one that popped up right then. I can do all things. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things. Let me ask you, do do you really believe you can do all things? Not not believe in a way that you would say yes. But does your life show? do Do you live as though... You really can do all things because of Christ and what He will do in you, through you, and for you. But do you set out to do things that are difficult and uncomfortable and, and expect that God will make up the gap between what you know you can do and what you know needs to be done? Do you live by that kind of faith? Do you believe that you can do all things? God will provide for all of my needs. God will provide. Now, of course, needs are not greets. Needs are not necessarily Cadillac Escalates. But God will provide for our needs. Let me ask you, do we believe that? And again, not believe it mentally, but believe it in actions. Does, does my generosity 
And the way that I give and help and serve and, and do things with the stuff that God gives me, does it show that I believe if I give this away, God will not allow me to do without? Do I, does my giving and my generosity reflect that I believe God will provide all of my needs? Jesus Christ has freed me from slavery to sin. Now this doesn't mean the struggle isn't there. And the struggle isn't real. What it means is we're not slaves to that any longer. We have no obligation to do what our sinful nature desires. That's what Romans 8.12 says. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are able to resist the temptations that come into your life and choose to do what's right every single time? Do you believe it's possible to live a holy, obedient life to God? Do you believe it in a way that you set out every day expecting to be victorious over all of the temptations and trials and struggles that come into your life? Or do you start your day thinking, I hope I can make it till I get home to blow it so nobody sees me? Do we start the day defeated rather than believing we're going to be victorious? Because if God is who He says He is and He can free us, in the pool of sin. And if he can do what he says he can do, then he, he will free us from the slavery to sin. My prayers of faith are powerful because of God. I'm almost certain we're going to look at that passage during our study. I mean, do you really believe that your prayers matter? That they, they do something? Right? Do you believe that your prayers shake heaven and cause things to happen on earth? This is what the Bible sort of teaches. And again, not do you believe it in a way that you say it. Do you pray like you believe it? I mean, I think the reason we, we struggle with having consistent prayer lives is we really don't believe that. We don't pray. If, if I really believed, I'll give you an example. This week I was talking to a pastor about this very thing, another guy in Bigsby, Oklahoma. And we were talking about when we first started in ministry, we prayed. I mean, that was no problem. I remember the first Monday I sat down in that office. I sat down, I opened my Bible, and I thought, <laughs> I don't know how to do anything that I'm supposed to do. I barely know how to prepare a sermon. I don't know how to do anything. Well, now almost 13 years down the road, I've preached thousands of sermons. I've visited people in the hospital hundreds of times. I've preached dozens of funerals, dozens of weddings. I kind of know what, I'm, what I need to do. Back then, I didn't know what I need to do. So you know what I did every morning when I first got here? Came in, I set my bag down, I came up here and I prayed. And that was after praying at the house before I came in. Every day. You know, I struggle with doing the most now, having a consistent time of prayer. Not praying through the day, I pray all throughout my day. But I mean just a time where I shut the world down and I say I'm going to pray. Why? Well, one is, I've kind of got to where I don't know that my prayers do as much good as I thought they did. Another is, I feel pretty confident that I can do it on my own. I'm not as aware of my dependence on God as I used to be. When we believe prayer really accesses the, the almighty power of God and makes changes here on earth, I mean, we pray. Nothing I do... In Christ's name is ever in vain. Jesus has risen. He has been victorious. We take part in that victory. 
Nothing we do for him is ever in vain, no matter how it seems, no matter how the world responds, whether anybody ever sees, Christ sees, Christ honors, and Christ rewards. Do I live in that way? Do I set out to do something for Jesus, whether it's read my Bible, pray, share the gospel, come to church, serve somebody a cup of cold water in Jesus' name? Do I do all of that with the knowledge that no matter what happens, this matters in heaven? This matters to Jesus. That's what faith does. It causes me to believe that. God will save people when I share the gospel. I mean, that's kind of the way things work. People hear, they believe, they call out, and they're saved. The key is they have to, to hear first. Do I really believe that when I talk to somebody about Jesus, that God can and will work through that to bring them to a place where they believe in Jesus and are saved? Again, this is one of those things where it's not enough to say I do. It has to be seen in, in what I do. If I believe that sharing the gospel will lead somebody to salvation, guess what I'll do regularly? I'll share the gospel. God can do more in me, through me, and for me than I can possibly imagine. Now, Ephesians 3.20, we talk about that in reference to God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. We usually stop there. Do you believe God can do all of that? There's a little known phrase that goes on in that verse that says, God can do exceedingly abundantly of all that you can ask or imagine according to power that is already at work in you. Think about that. The power of God that can do exceedingly abundantly of all that we can ask or imagine, it's already in me. It's the Holy Spirit. So, therefore, God can do more in me than I can possibly ask or imagine. God can do more through me, through my life, my ministry, my service, my devotion than I could ask or imagine. God can do more for me than I could ever ask or imagine. Do I believe that? Do I believe it in a way that leads me to do things that are big? Do I believe it in a way that leads me to try things that require God to intervene or they will fail? Do I believe that in a way that demonstrates that if God doesn't work, everything will fall apart? The Holy Spirit will produce fruit in my life, the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, do do I really believe that it's possible? Let's just start there, that it's possible. To consistently show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and long-suffering, self-control. I mean, do we, do we really believe that it's possible for each one of us all the time to show all of those, not just one or two, but all of them? And not just love with people we love, but love with people that don't like us. Patience with difficult people. Do we believe that that is possible? If we have faith in the character of God, we should. Because God says that will happen, and God can make that happen. Therefore, we should expect spirit-filled believers that would be a part of our lives. God will complete the work in me that He began when I was saved. Do you believe that no matter how many times you blow it, God is not going to give up on you? Because you're going to blow it. We're all going to blow it. But what do you do when you blow it? Do you give up? I just quit? Or do you repent? Move on knowing that the God who began a good work in me on the day that I was saved will not stop. He will continue to work, continue to change, continue to make me like Jesus until that day when I am like Jesus. And then I am more than a conqueror through Christ. And I love that because that's all in the context of suffering. It's all in the context of hardships and trials. And even in the midst of hardships and trials. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Actually, do you live like you're more than a conqueror? Or do you live as though you're constantly defeated? 
One of the things to understand about believers in the spiritual struggle, whether it's the struggle with the flesh or a struggle with the world, we do not fight from a place of defeat trying to win. We fight from a place of victory. We fight not from a place of weakness, but from a place of strength. We are more than conquerors through Christ. We should not go through life beat up, beat down, defeated, discouraged, and overcome. Because even in the midst of every bad thing that happens, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and has saved us. Do you believe you're a victor? Do you believe you can overcome? Do you do you believe it in a way that you start the day saying, I am I'm a winner. No, no. I am a, a victor in Christ. You should. If you have faith that God is who He says He is, and He can do what He says He will do, there should be an expectation that you will overcome. An expectation that the struggles and trials and hardships of this world will not defeat you, that you will be more than a conqueror in the midst of them all. Now, we look at these, and nobody here would, I don't think, if I were to go around the room, and there's not very many today, so I could, and say, do you believe these? We would all say, yes, they're true. None of these are new. These are all very familiar verses. It's all say, yes, they're true. But do you expect them to be true for you? Do you expect them to happen in your life? I, I think the promises of God, I think they're absolute and conditional. They're absolute in that if God has said it, He will do it. That, that's absolute. But that they're conditional in that we have, to, we have to do what they say, right? Like, for instance, I can do all things. I, I can. That, that's absolute, right? Do all things. So what do I have to do to, to have the I can? I have to do something, don't I? I don't experience the I can do all things until I'm actually doing something. God will save people as we share the gospel. That's an absolute. But guess what we have to do to experience that absolute? Share the gospel. And all the promises of God, that's kind of how they work. God has absolutely said something He would do. There's something we must do to experience that promise. And our faith in God, that He is who He says He is, that He'll do what He says He will do, it becomes the motivation to live that way. To try something that's beyond my strength because I can do all things. To try something that's great and, and really overwhelming because God can do more in me, through me, and for me than I can ask or imagine. But it is that expectation that as I do this, God will keep His word. Faith is the foundation to our expectation, to believe He will. Faith is also the motivation to then step out and do what God has said He would do. Thirdly, faith is built on revelation. Faith is not a shot in the dark. Faith is not a creative force. Faith is not something we... Make up and we can just believe and suddenly make it all happen. Faith, faith has to have a foundation. It has to be built on, on something. So what is our, our faith in God built on? Well, the answer is in verse 3. By faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which were visible. Now, in order to tell them that they're people, that they're already people of faith, he points to them to something that they already take as an absolute. They, these Hebrew Christians, 
they take as a non-negotiable the faith that God created everything out of nothing. They, they believe that that is an absolute of their faith, but they weren't there to see it. Right? They, they believe it by faith, but where does their faith that God's the creator come from? It came from the writings of Moses. Right? Their faith in who God is and what God would do, it, it was not something that they just made up on their own. It was built on the scripture. And so they had already believed scripture. It had revealed who God was and what God would do. And they would accept that as the foundation of their faith. They would accept that their, their faith was built on the revelation of scripture. It's the same for us. Our faith in who God is and our faith in what God will do, it must be built on the revelation of scripture. And I think the, the further we go on in our world, the more we have to acknowledge this and depend upon this. Because the Bible says that the, the longer the world goes toward the end, there will be false teachers. That they will arise and they will grow. Now, there have always been false teachers. But as a general rule, the church at large had no problem saying, this person is a false teacher. The church at large would examine what people said by the scripture, and then they would say, that's wrong. That's not right. You're, you're not a part. And they had no problems doing this. But when we get to our day, somebody can say something ridiculous about who God is and what God is like. And somebody will say, well, no, but the Bible says. And the response will be, well, who are you to say what God can do? You can't put God in a box. You can't control God like that. God can do anything that He wants to do. God is great and awesome and He can do anything. Who are you to limit God? Now let me be clear. I believe God is great and awesome. And I believe God is inherently worthy of our worship. I believe He can do anything He determines to do. But there is one thing, that well many things, but one thing in particular about God that is different than man. We may do things against our character. I may be a generally honest person, but in a right situation and in the right circumstance, I may lie. Right? In the right situation and in the right circumstance, I, I may do something that will give me more money back than I deserve. God, God never acts contrary to His nature. God never acts contrary to who He is and what He has said. So, how do we know who God is. How do we know what God is like? It is revealed in Scripture. God has told us who He is. God has told us what He is like. God has told us what He will do. God has told us things that He, he won't do. And our job is not to redefine God in a way that is culturally acceptable. Our job is to accept God as He is and to worship Him as He is. Anytime we begin to redefine God, anytime we begin to, to minimize one aspect of God to maximize another aspect of God, we do not fix God. We make an idol. And our only choices are accept God as He has revealed Himself to be or reject God. And any time I begin to say, oh, that holiness thing, that's really not, God's not a lot like that. I haven't changed God. Instead, I have created an idol that makes me more comfortable. 
I have created an idol that is more palatable to the world at large that rejects God and rejects who He is and what He said. What we believe about God, it certainly, certainly matters. And if we're going to say, I believe God will do this, I have an expectation that God will, then I had better be able to explain why I expect God to do that. Because if it goes against God's revealed character, you can be sure He will not do that. If it is something He has explicitly said He will not do, you can be sure it will not happen. Anything we believe God to be must be consistent with Scripture. Anything we're believing God to do must be consistent with the revelation of Scripture. Our faith, it always has to be built on revelation. It is built on God's revelation of Himself to us as contained in the Bible. This always has to be priority. And then finally, faith is the key to salvation. In verse 2, it says that by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. So, the elders are those basically contained in Hebrews 11. That would be a thing. That they received a good testimony means that they were approved of by God. So, not only did their faith give evidence to God, but because of their faith, God gave testimony about them. He, he approved of them. That what they did was right. That they, according to verse 6, that they, they pleased Him. Now, I think this means more than God saying, that was good. Right? Like after a ball game, good game, son. Right? Instead, I believe this gives us an indication of, of heaven. These that we see in this chapter, who obtained a good testimony through faith, are people that we can expect when we get to heaven, they will be there. But each and every one of them will be there. Their faith in God, God, it was what got them and what brought God to the place where He approved of them, He received them, and He was pleased with them. And we see this, I think, lots of places. I mean, I think about the story that Jesus told about the, the man who had servants and He called them together and gave them amounts of money to go and invest and use while He was gone. And when He came back, He called them in to give an account. And two of them had taken the Master's money and they had done good with it. They had done what they were supposed to do. And they received approval. Right? Well done. Good and faithful servant. The third servant had buried the money because he was afraid of what the Master would say. And the Master said, You wicked, lazy servant. Right? Now, one did not receive his approval. But the story goes on to say that those who received his approval were told, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. The other guy was told to cast him out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I'm just going to say, I believe that sounds a lot like heaven and hell. The joy of the Lord, the joy of your Lord, that's, that's a good thing. To a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, not so good. I believe that what he's talking about here is more than our faith God. Through faith, God will say, that was a good job. Certainly, that's a part of it. But it's through our faith that we receive the salvation, which is really the key to all that God wants to give us. Everything starts there. And, and we see it in the chapter. Abraham is the perfect example of this, right? God, God called Abraham. Leave the land of your family. Go and do all of these things. And, and the Bible says in Romans... Uses him as an example of faith. What well, shall we say? 
But Abraham, our father, is found according to flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, was accounted to him for righteousness. Right? Abraham, God called Abraham to leave his homeland, and he did. God called Abraham to circumcise his family, and he did. God called Abraham to offer his son, and he did. But it's not the actions themselves that caused Abraham to be justified, or caused Abraham to receive the approval of God. It was the fact that he did them because of faith. It was his faith that mattered. And that's a, we always have to remember that. I mean, why do we do what we do? Why are you here today? Because while you're here, well, that matters. Why, do you, why are you going to give? Why are you going to pray? Why are you going to read your Bible? Because the why you do it, it matters. We look at the religious leaders in the Gospels. Jesus came and he dealt with religious leaders and sinners. Who was he hardest on? What the tax collectors and the prostitutes that the world hated. He was hardest on the religious leaders. Now, what's significant about that in our context is they were religious. They did things. They did lots of things. They dressed in all the right clothing. Now, they, they, they wouldn't touch things that were unclean. They made all the sacrifices that they were supposed to make. They did them on the right day. They tithed even the tiniest bit of their income. And despite that, Jesus did not approve of them. They did not please Him. They were not received by Him. Why? Because they did not have faith in Him. It is not the actions themselves that matter. It is the why that matters. Must be motivated by faith. In fact, when you read like Amos, some of the Old Testament prophets, God talks to the, to the Israelites who did religious things without faith in Him, and He said, I hate what you're doing. I despise your feast days. Your songs disgust me. The why. The why matters. Faith is the key to salvation, not coming to church, reading our Bible, not even stopping sinning. If you choose today to turn over and live a holy life and never sin again, but do not have faith, you will still find yourself excluded from the kingdom of God. You will still find that you never please God in your life because without faith it is impossible to please Him. Faith in God must be the motivating factor behind all that we do. And it is that faith that brings us into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Faith is the key to salvation. The the point of this message isn't do more. Doing more won't help. If anything, the message is, is believe more. Believe. And when we really believe, stuff happens. Faith Faith is the foundation of our expectation. Our faith in God and who He is is what leads us to expect, not just think He will, or not just hope He will, but to expect that God will do what He has said He will do. That faith then provides a motivation for us to step out and do what God has said, knowing He will keep His word. Faith is always built upon the revelation of Scripture, and it is the key to salvation. So if we were to sum up, what is faith? How would we do that? I think this is the way to go. 
Faith is trusting God's character enough to act on His promises. Faith is trusting God's character enough to act on His promises. Faith and action, they both have to be there. Faith precedes the actions, always. Is this the kind of faith you have in your life? Stand.